Hey, I'm Gretchen Bridgers of the Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Eric Gibbs. Eric is the president for Original, a text similarity detection software that assists K through 12 districts and higher education institutions in safeguarding their academic integrity initiatives. Oh, there's so much cool stuff that we're going to be talking about today and so much for you to learn. Thanks for listening. And then, by the way, before you go, it would be so awesome if you went in to my uh, website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and went in there and rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? Thank you so much. That would be so cool. Enjoy. Hey, Steve here. And my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Hey, did, did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand voice? Well, did you? <laughs> Here's the secret. We all want to feel connected to brands we buy from. What better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your story on a podcast? Kitcaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. If you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with Kitcaster. Go to kitcaster.com slash TLLK12 or go to my webpage at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, click on the Kitcaster logo, and apply for a special offer just for the friends of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Eric Gibbs serves as president for Original, a text similarity detection software that assists K-12 districts and higher education institutions in safeguarding their academic integrity initiatives. Before joining Original, Eric served in various high-growth educational technology leadership roles at Aplia, Cengage Learning, and Turnitin. Eric is an accomplished business executive with over 20 years of experience in the education technology industry. He has helped provide text originality assessment services 
to over 6,000 organizations in more than 110 countries. As a data-driven, innovative leader with a proven track record in go-to-market strategy creation, Eric excels at new market identification and mentorship in startup and high-growth organizations. He creates innovative and successful go-to-market strategies within K-12 and higher education markets. Eric, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Thank you very much for having me, Stephen, and thank you for your audience for listening. Well, glad to have you here. And let's start by talking about something I just read in your bio with a proven track record in go-to-market strategy creation. What is go-to-market strategy creation? Uh, Great question. So whenever you hear the words go-to-market strategy, your listeners may think of a consultant or having a media vision of McKinsey, Price, Waterhouse, Coopers, uh, individuals providing you with guidance on the cost cost of developing a new product or new uh, market or region. But my own personal association with go-to-market strategy creation is really focused on kind of my many failures over the years that evolved into successes and processes and ultimately kind of winning strategies for startups and high growth companies. Um, And that primarily was in the education technology sector. Um, My experience has been quite vast in taking products to both, you know, in markets in both uh, education um, with everything validating wireframes and concepts to to messaging and, and business models. And while, you know, different products are purchased by different stakeholders and those teachers, principals, department chairs, provost, Um, and at the district and institutional level, you know, what I found is common denominators are communication, customer focus, and product dependability um, with an overarching and kind of invisible hand of, of course, being price. But if any one of those pillars break down, you know, the vulnerability, then the success is not going to be there for that outcome. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's, that's pretty cool. So you've been doing that for a while. And uh, what, uh, I mean, What's something that you've really just learned from, from what works? I mean, what, what works for you? I, th- I think listening to the market, you, you never can be out, out, out in front of the market. The market always has to be able to tell you. And I think, you know, what I would say is pre-pandemic, um, the market in education moves pretty slowly. Um, if you think about where we're coming out of, um, everybody was forced online learning as of March, 2020. Uh, prior to that, it was great, great to be in e-learning and, and some institutions and some instructors did a very good job. Um, but as of middle of March, welcome to remote, <laughs> remote online learning. Um, and until then, uh, you know, the market really didn't embrace it full, fully. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting what you're talking about because education technology, I mean, that's, you know, it was, you know, we're kind of, we are. We're just, I mean, I think the prime example of uh, what you're talking about is the number of people who probably had been trained to do, um, to use some of the education technology, uh, stuff that works in a, the virtual learning world, but uh, may not have been <laughs> discovered that they really didn't know what they thought they knew. I mean, did you run into that into, as your, uh, as the, your part of the world? Absolutely, Steve. And I, and I think, you know, for some individuals, if we think about what e-learning is, you know, it's, it's a platform, it's, it's a talking face, and it's a set of, of online problems, right? right. Pedagogically, <laughs> that's not sound course design. So um, maybe it's a reintegration and a reintroduction to some of these. So, 
if, if it's a redesign of, of what e-learning looks like, um, it's a re-education. So, you know, hopefully we have the process of kind of do, doing our due diligence in this continuous improvement of saying, here's what a perfect outcome is. Now that you've had a taste of, of the water, let's go back and refine it and, and, and truly show you, you know, what e-learning can be for, for districts for professors, for instructors, um, and then move the needle um, for those e-learning gains. That's it, you know, it just, sorry, got me thinking about all kinds of, of stuff that uh, in our world just kind of, uh, um, it, some of it went just com- totally complete and then there were some people going, yay, and, and, and what you got me thinking of right now is the, you know, it, it's, it's not just our world because in education because others obviously are experiencing it when you watch, um, you know, a, uh, uh, an insurance commercial and my favorite one is uh for progressive i'm not name dropping here this is not sponsored by them. <laughs> it's, it's not name brand placement but it's you know they had this commercial it's awesome where they make fun of i think they have like two of them that were they uh they're the boxes they're the people and there's the person who doesn't realize that they're on <laughs> and they're trying to do things and then there's the other one who they should be muted and you can hear everything else that's going on and all kinds of stuff like that and i just think that that's uh you know that was a big part because like you said teaching wise it's not the best of, you know, the way you'd like to teach because you really have, <laughs> they're, they're on the other side of that wall. <laughs> well, and, and also we're talking about teachers, but think about for students, yes. students didn't self-select to become an online learner, right? right? It was just as much of a forced, forced selection on the student as it was um, the instructor. So, you know, if, if we put our, put our feet in those, the, those students shoes, you know, it, it's just as potentially uncomfortable because there's a large select, a large population of students that shouldn't be online learners as well. So, you know, I think that, that as we step back and do kind of our, our, our due diligence on that as well, it, it gives us a foresight to be able to say, how can we actually make this more optimized for online learning for students? And, you know, you don't want to push somebody off the bridge. You let, let, let's take a look and see what we're getting ourselves into before we take that jump. And so, um, you know, I think it, it, it's hopefully a, a phenomenon that we don't have to repeat, um, but I think we can learn from it um, over time. I, I think so. I think there's a lot of learning to be done. Now, I, I got to tell you, I don't, I, I don't know how old you are, but I got to tell you that uh, the one thing that I always think like throughout this last year that I've been thinking about is I grew up uh, watching a lot of reruns of 60s cartoons. And uh, the one that comes to mind is the Jetsons here because they, you know, they're supposed to be space age in the future. And they always had a little bit different take on uh, Elroy's classes. But my all time favorite one was Elroy wouldn't stay in his seat and uh, the seat is in their house. And he's watching a screen and the computer reaches out and grabs him and puts him back in his seat, <laughs> which we got to figure out how to do that. That would be cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we got half of it right. We at least got the screen, you know, in 2020, right? Right. Exactly. So pretty cool. Uh, so uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, original. It, it's focused on detecting plagiarism. Could you share about the role that it plays? Yeah, so, you know, Original is a set of online academic integrity tools and services that pretty much are utilized by secondary, post-secondary, and some corporations to assist in ensuring originality and authenticity of written work. Um, The company was launched formally in September of 2020 when two European tech similarity detection leaders, Erkund from Sweden and Plagscan from Germany, 
combined with, with nearly three decades of knowledge and experience to launch the original brand and organization. Um, I, I think I would also say, you know, one of the mi- biggest misnomers surrounding tools like original is, is it detects plagiarism. So I talk about academic integrity and text similarity detection. Um, so I guess it'd prob- probably be proper to identify what actually is plagiarism. Some individuals might think it might be different than what it actually is. So, you know, the act of plagiarism is to steal or pass off the ideas or words of another as your own or more importantly, to use without crediting the source. So Original's utility is that it brings to its users the efficiencies of matching vast amount of content. And if you think about that, 20 years of archived internet, scholarly journals and academic publications and vast amount of of submitted student content that's checked for collusion uh, within the classroom. You know, just as a note, I mean, I I can remember very, very much, uh, you know, when you're in school and stuff like this, those who are, all I got to do is I just switch around the words a little bit here. I switch around there and voila, I'm finished with my, uh, you know, 10 bazillion page paper. And, you know, and what I always thought was funny was that there was always some teacher that went, you know, this reads a lot like your sister who graduated from, <laughs> from this school four years ago and they'd remember it and they'd pull out, you know, and they'd actually have a copy of it. I actually was in a class where I watched one of the other students in the class get berated because uh, he literally wrote, uh, he copied his sister's paper um, that the teacher still had a copy of in her, <laughs> in her file cabinet. Is Absolutely. It, Absolutely. And so with stuff like that, I mean, with what it does... I mean, are there societal dynamics now that kind of drive the need even more? I mean, because in those days, I hate to say it. I mean, that's that's before everybody had a PC and um, or knew what a Mac was and stuff like that. And and uh, you know, today, you know, they've gotten smaller and smaller, and they're you know, we got phones that can do way more than anything we ever had in those back in when I'm talking about, especially when I was a teacher. So, I mean, can you talk about that? Yeah, no, I see. I think it's a perfect use case that you bring up. I mean, it's it's certainly um, you know, that that's something that that you saw in the past. And I think we can all agree that student behavior is predictable. Um, you know, <laughs> the student behavior that I'm talking about is kind of waiting till the last day to write a four page term paper or even complete an assignment and then submit it for four minutes prior to the assignment due date. Um, and that in, individuals are influenced by one another's behavior. I think that's something that gets underemphasized. Um, but academic support or academic integrity support tools like original deter students from plagiarizing content and therefore certainly promote originality in their written work. I guess we could kind of relate that social change as you kind of indicated over time as it relates to the technology. So as you said, prior to text similarity detection tools, teachers and professors could maybe read through handwritten assignments, engage students in their conversations, or potentially if they didn't properly cite their paper, um, or as you said, maybe, you know, suspicion in their own writing. But today it's a little different, Uh, you know, through automation an efficiency tool like original analyzes the text. So that that's typically submitted through a learning management system. So something like in, in a high school MS teams, Google classroom, or maybe in a college canvas, Brightspace, Blackboard, And within minutes, you know, an an analysis report is provided to an instructor or to the student to really provide those insights on the content matches of the text. So likewise, if there was any cross language translation matches um, and now 
authorship authenticity of written work compared to the prior submission based upon writing style. So not only now are we being able to actually identify originality, we're being able to actually kind of show if the student potentially didn't write the paper. So, you know, I guess to summarize, I'd argue there is a need for an efficiency component to be utilized to save teachers or faculty time and to potentially, you know, have a behavioral deterrence to promote original writing by that student. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, and uh, not kind of, it's very interesting to me uh, because we're in a whole world where, you know, I was naive when I was in school and and in college and <laughs> and even as an adult, you know, because you, you kind of, now I'm not dumb, but at the same time, there's this, you know, it's okay being naive about it, except when you realize that there's a lot more doing it, you know. So when I was in college, there were people that, you know, I didn't know them, but they, you know, people bought their services to write their papers for them. And, uh, um, and I know today that there's people have had issues of going online and finding, you know, people that uh, they may even post papers <laughs> that are for sale and stuff like this. Yeah. It's, it's what a crazy, you know, it's like you put so much effort into doing that. You might as well. I mean, it's, it's like, did you not learn from any of the TV shows or movies? It never turns out right. You know, <laughs> let's talk about uh, um, let's, let's talk about who the target audience is. I mean, uh, Eric, how, how do they know that they need to try original? Yeah, I mean, our, historically, our target audience has been school district, colleges, universities. Um, but the utility of the tool lends itself to anyone that's evaluating original, authentic written work. Um, what I'd say is while most of our end users are students, teachers, and professor, the end goal is really to support the academic integrity initiatives and institutional quality um, of the certificates and degrees that the schools and institutions are granting. Um, so the how do they know, <laughs> the how do they know is, is really kind of tricky for, for me to, to, to describe. So I make the assumption that most individuals don't feel there is an academic integrity issue at their schools or institutions. Um, that is a pre-pandemic assumption, by the way. Gotcha. <laughs> so in the news, you, you pretty much are, are inundated with uh, cheating scandals, with plagiarism scandals. Um, but to provide some in insights into how significant an issue it really is, um, I thought what I would do is kind of just give you a, 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 the, probably the most well-known academic integrity study conducted by the late Dr. Donald McCabe and the International Center for Academic Integrity between fall 2002 and spring 2015. So in this study, Dr. McCabe uh, surveyed over 70,000 high school students in more than 24 high schools across the United States. And here's what he found. He found that 64% of students admitted to cheating on a test. So while 58% admitted to plagiarism. So that's pretty staggering. And 95% said they participated in some form of cheating, whether it was on a test, plagiarism, and copying homework. So if you kind of quantify that, um, you know, do they, who, who, who do they, who needs a tool like original? It really is, you know, schools, colleges, and, and higher education institutions, because that type of, of data is pretty much re uh, relevant at undergraduate as well as graduate institutions. Gotcha. And it's, I mean, you can see why. I mean, just going back, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is sad. Uh, when, when I was at this university, 
this is a long time ago. This really dates me, but they they had had a big problem with um, people paying kids paying other kids to take tests. And so you had to have two forms of picture ID on you. And the classes were huge. All right. These, these were classes that they had that had like, one of them had like 750 kids in it. It was nuts. <laughs> huge university. And, um, and so they'd walk you then to your seat. And then when you were finished with your test, you had to show them the IDs. They checked that again. And then they'd walk you to turn it in. And, uh, you know, so that's it. It is extreme because obviously stuff like that could ha- happen today in an e- even different version of it. Uh, with someone paying somebody to be them, I guess at the in whatever format. So yeah. interesting. Well, and and those and if you think about it, those those were from that was from 2002 to 2015. So you know the the internet has become much more prevalent and relevant in kind of the e learning. So you would tend to think that that's going to skew even higher, um, especially given the, the the pandemic that we just came out of. Yeah, most definitely. It's, it's just interesting. So uh, uh, let's talk some thoughts about you know, that I read about in a couple of originals blog. I mean, yeah, really cool blog, by the way. Um, good, helpful information to understand lots about what goes on. And, and uh, in January of this year, there was an article, and I'm pointing out the month because there's, um, there's a lot more that are more current, but this one was rather intriguing because uh, um, it was about detecting ghost-written papers, which I was kind of alluding to just a minute ago. Do you have some thoughts about that, about how original helps deal with that? Yeah, it's a great you know segue from discussing kind of detecting originality um, and deterring plagiarism to detecting kind of new writing styles and deterring ghostwriting or what I'll even call it, go as far as call it, calling contract cheating. Um, so what is ghostwriting? I guess we should probably talk about that. So typically we think of ghostwriter as a person hired to write a literary work or music or speech in the name of another person or author, right? So that's typically non-academic. Right. Um, similar, similar kind of contract cheating kind of describes the process through which that student can have original work produced for them, which they can then submit as their own work. So it goes back to what you were describing as going out to some of these digital uh, and, and corporate websites to purchase some of those those artifacts. Uh, most of the time, it involves payment to the company, individual, or au- auction site. So that's kind of what is, is deemed contract cheating. Our R&D teams have heard this feedback kind of from our user base for, for many years. And it basically is, you know, they would like the opportunity to not only identify originality, of written work, but detect writing styles and what we consider authenticity of written work. Um, And that really is kind of closing the loop on fully supporting a school or institution's academic integrity initiatives. So, you know, with that said, um, there's many of these student file sharing websites that, that we're starting to see trend up. Um, so with this feedback, the R&D team started building out functionality to compare written documents submit, submitted by the, the individual students to, and compared to, to the same class. The goal is to provide the, the evaluator, which, of course, is going to be the instructor, um, to be able to detect and make an informed decision on the actual writing style of that, that student. And that's what we're, we're starting to call, Steve, uh, Stephen, the, the original metrics. Um, so, you know, this is that that st- similar uh, stylometry type of analysis that really is going to inform, um, I, I think, kind of that next iteration of academic integrity initiatives. 
But what I'll say is academic file sharing sites pose a real risk to academic integrity. Um, I, I've been referring to these resource companies and practices as the digital sharing economy. There's no easy solution to file sharing sites, but it's imperative for the educational community and, par and parents to really know that these fi file sharing sites exist. And right now, unfortunately, we find ourselves in kind of this whack-a-mole type of scenario where, you know, one gets exposed and, and one gets, you know, taken down and other pops up. So my recommendation would be for, again, parents, university, school administrators uh, to be aware of the unauthorized use of the instructor's content um, that's being utilized. And these instructor's content, they, the instructors take such tedious time to make high quality assessments, high quality content, and then immediately they get shared through these, these websites and immediately all that time is, is immediately gone. So, um, you know, more needs to be done to, to assist in the removal of the content and, and these overall digital sharing sites. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because it's like, you know, just as a side note, by, by the way, I like your uh, your analogy there, whack-a-mole, um, because, yeah, just as you hit one, another one pops up someplace Absolutely. else. It's driving you nuts. It's like, yeah, and, and, and part of it, you know, not defending them, but I'm sure that a big part of it is someone going, I think I know how to make money. <laughs> and uh, it's well, and that's that's part of the growth. Right. And yeah. unfortunately, um, you know, some of these uh, some of these contract cheating sites, once the student procures the procures the artifact or that written assessment, then the company is going to come back and they can actually hold hostage or blackmail the student based upon their credentials to that individual institution and then extort them for money. So they, they've even went as far as Stephen, the Better Business Bureau in early April issued a, a, a press release on the Better Business Bureau website to warn parents and students about this fraud claim and, and about the, the the issue of of doing business with these contract cheating sites. Wow, that's... <laughs> That's something there. That's that's a, a made-for uh, um, story for a movie. I mean, that's a, that, we have some thriller here. The company comes back and threatens them, and so in comes the hero to <laughs> to save the anti-hero. It, it really is sad, and you know the reason why students cheat. It's not because it's the easy way out. It's time constraints, it, it, and it's almost like the the social norms have. It, it's becoming normalized to cheat. So if you're sitting in a thousand-person lecture hall in a psychology class and your buddy or your friend is doing this. And what we're starting to see is as high as potentially 40% of a thousand person student class is doing this. Are you going to actually do the right thing and actually continue on? Or are you going to actually use one of these websites to actually get the great grade or good grade? It's being normalized and you know, if 20% of students are going to cheat, 20% are never going to cheat, we really need to focus in on the 60% keeping the guardrails on to, to really keep that moral compass in front of us. Makes sense, makes perfect sense. You know, in, in another more recent article, uh, a blog article from Originals blog site, uh, there was a focus on what originality is. Um, could you talk about why it's important for students to embrace the concept of seeking to be original? Yeah, that, that was a good article from our marketing team and, you know, certainly stirred quite a bit of discussion because it, <laughs> it was um, it, it went kind of off of our normal um, written work of academic integrity. Um, certainly the way we've been discussing originality thus far, far is pr primarily 
if you think about it, in originality of student work and, and a written artifact through uh, your own individual voice. You know, I'm sure if we went out and looked at Google or searched originality, you're going to get many meetings and explanations for originality. Um, but, you know, being original opens your up, yourself up to being potentially nonconformist or challenging the, the status quo. So it's a very different meaning than, at least in this blog post, than, than what we, we traditionally talk about. I think in the business world, so certainly I can appreciate this, um, it can be quite satisfying, rewarding as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, if you think about it, while, you know, conformists help maintain important norms of society, I think students have to find their comfort level with whatever their decision is, but I would encourage them to challenge themselves. Um, me and myself, I'm an entrepreneur. I would say that, you know, as a first generation college graduate, um, kind of went off the beaten track, didn't really know what, what originality was if I look back. Um, but at the end of the day, challenges are good. And if you have your own kind of passions and trying to find your own originality, um, that's what it's all about. And, you know, just because you're a conformist doesn't mean that you don't have your own, own personal voice. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what I liked about this article was that it's it's uh, it's it's nice, refreshing sort of thought that uh, we've got to get the 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 people who are doing the work to think in terms of it's okay to want to share you know your ideas and you know why is this a good thing and 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 be original and I thought that was kind of neat instead of thinking that it's you know it's funny whether whether it's real or not I I remember seeing an article that uh, supposedly uh, Elvis told someone one time not to uh, try and be him that uh, that uh, I guess the person was very good imitation of him but he's like why don't you be you and I I thought that was kind of cool thought and I think that's kind of what this article is saying yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can tell you what not to bring up on the plagiarism side is when you're you're giving a talk in Minneapolis and bring up Bob Dylan, in the plagiarism talk, since he's from from Minneapolis, doesn't go over very well. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> very nice. Um, I'll remember that. <laughs> Note to self, don't bring up plagiarism and Bob Dylan Nobel Prize speech nice. in, in Minneapolis. <laughs> bad, 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 huh? <laughs> nice. Um, you know, it, one of the things that uh, your website has, which is really cool, is there's a, there's a resources segment of the website for original. And, and there is a plagiarism handbook that can be downloaded for free. Could you talk about this resource and what will it help in students or instructors with? Yeah, I think one of the things that we do when we we partner with institutions and certainly in the higher education space, um, it, it's a multi-pronged approach in our in our kickoffs and implementations. It's not just partnering with an academic integrity uh, program or department. Um, we work with the 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 education technology team on campus. We work with the Center for Teaching and Learning. Um, we also work with the, the provost and academics. One of the things that we heard from the Center for Teaching and Learning is they would like the ability to actually have some type of resources to be able to utilize to incorporate kind of best practices for students. 
And this is really kind of the, the genesis of our plagiarism handbook. So it's not to learn how to plagiarize, certainly. It's, it's really to kind of um, assist individuals on how to paraphrase, how to properly cite, what are some best practices. And for instructors, where are great resources? And what I would encourage your listeners, if you're looking for uh, resources on how to promote um, academic integrity, certainly the Center for, or the International Center for Academic Integrity is a great resource. And for your European listeners, the International or the European Network for Academic Integrity, amazing resources that, that can be utilized um, for your institution, both at higher education as well as um, at the at the K through 12 level. So this is a, just a resource that we have created to really help both instructors and students um, on ways to better, you know, find their, their voice, but also be able to implement best practices uh, to promote academic integrity. You know, it's, a, it's just a cool world. You've got all this stuff going on there that's meant to help. And uh, uh, so tell us, how does a school, college, university go about making the first step to utilizing original in their learning environments? What do they have to do? Yeah, so our, one of our primary goals is to integrate within the workflows, you know, for the end user. So we want to try to utilize the tool as an efficiency component. Most schools, most universities have a learning management system, as I said, Google uh, Classroom, Bright, uh, MS Teams, maybe it's Canvas or Brightspace. Um, so what we want to do is to have seamless integrations that, that align with the user's workflow. So student submits a paper, kind of the magic happens on the back end seamlessly uh, through the platform and then returns an analysis report uh, to the individual user. Instructor would log in, be able to see that through the, the, the assignment settings and see the, the analysis report. Again, make a quick judgment call. Are the, are the, uh, the, are, is the paper uh, cited properly? Are there room for concerns with the, with the uh, potential plagiarism or the matched content? And then, as I said, this authorship recognition component, being able to actually see match, matched uh, authorship authenticity versus prior submissions or artifacts. Um, so typically what we want to do is to in, in, in integrate that within the, the learning environment that the school district or the institution has, uh, has purchased or procured. Gotcha. Very cool. The, uh, is this something that a teacher could reach out and uh, actually, you know, if whether their system does or not, could they make use of it? So our, our model and, and our partnerships are, are conducted at the district level and the high school level, um, as well as at the higher education, so the, at the institution or college level. Um, so th that and that is really kind of that seamless integration that we're building or that partnership. And that's really where we want to focus in on is, is those core integrations for the workflows. Gotcha. Gotcha. I just thought I'd ask that because I, I, could, I could hear somebody asking me that question. Well, did you ask him that? And I said, well... No, I didn't. So let me ask that. So, <laughs> so thanks. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, Eric, we're, we're getting close to finishing up here. If someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, what would you send? Where would you send them? Yeah, I, I would certainly encourage them to visit original.com and certainly uh, spell that out. It's O-U-R-I-G-I-N-A-L.com or follow us on on our social, uh, you know, Twitter at original underscore O. Um, additionally, it'd be great to connect with your listeners on LinkedIn, and I certainly would encourage them to share their comments with me. I, I love the dialogue, love the feedback. That's, you know, going back to kind of that go-to-market strategy that we just had. 
the best thing that I can hear is feedback, you know, certainly from, um, from your listeners. So, you know, reach out. It's eric.gibbs at original.com. I'd love to hear from, uh, from your listeners. Excellent. And I'll put those, um, those links in my show notes. So they'll have them there where they can find them. Uh, and, uh, Eric, I can't thank you enough. What I want to do is I got two last questions to ask you, and uh, they're questions I just like to ask my guests. The first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? So as a child, I remember my parents and more specifically, my grandma always saying kind of never give up whatever you do. Um, it's, it's, you know, you start something, you have to finish it. And I, I think that that type of reinforcement sometimes just kind of becomes part of your mentality and really kind of every day your, your, your thought process, um, really up until early 2002, that was kind of my, my mentality. Um, but then I really got to spend a, a, some time at a, a startup called Applia with an economist that I, I understood the real value of, of, of incentives. So it helps me to break down task into more attainable near-term goals. But, you know, even with that, that, breaking down of near-term goals, you know, I still have that little whisper in my head that appears to let me know, you know, never get up, give up whatever you do. Very cool. Thank you. The uh, last question, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Wow. So I don't know that I could have just one. There was, there was really two that, you know, affected me and I would say positively affected me. Uh, Miss Becky Zabel, a 10th grade teacher at Brown County High School provided, I'd say the most support and optimism. Um, and the second, um, just an amazing individual, a professor at the University of Missouri, sociology professor, Dr. John Gallagher just had a strong advocate for, for justice and nonviolence. Just looking back over the years kind of really changed the way, you know, I looked in at the world. So just pivotal in, in different ways, but just such great individuals that, that kind of changed my life. So cool. So cool. Thanks for sharing it. Eric, thanks so much for talking with me today. Original is an awesome tool that can help create a better understanding of what plagiarism is and how plagiarism can be eliminated from the classroom. And uh, just to kind of keep people doing what they should be doing, which is, I'll take the, the article, the blog article that said, you know, they've got good thoughts of them, their own. And I think that's pretty cool to, to focus on that. Um, wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you very much, Stephen. And thank you very much for your listeners for taking the time with us today. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make like earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions 
expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.